You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're coming into you like on the disabled list today, the show before the show. I got rear-ended uh, like 20 minutes ago. Jake is on like 17 medications from allergies. We're limping through. This is a gutsy, we're like uh, Kurt Gibson in the World Series today on the show before the show. Gutting it out, Jake. There was, there was a professor in, at, uh, at Boston University while I was there whose, whose favorite expression with kids was, uh, you got to play hurt. So today we are, we are playing hurt today. <laughs> that is terrific. Also, I like that a professor gives that advice. What is the circumstance where a professor's like, nope, nope, got to play hurt. No sick days. He's, 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 he's an old hockey writer. It was, uh... <laughs> it's acceptable then. Yep. Hey, welcome in another edition of the show before the show podcast, the minor league baseball podcast. I am Tyler Mon. He is Jake Siner and uh, futures game behind us. Major league baseball all-star game is tonight. We are recording this on Tuesday and uh, this week's edition episode number 16 of the show before the show. A lot of stuff coming up for you. We already have had some post futures game transactions. Futures game itself was very fun. uh, And as it is every year, I mean, it's, that is such a cool event. We've already seen guys get promoted. Didn't even have to leave Cincinnati they just to go back to their original team they just headed out to a new team and so it's uh been kind of a crazy week but we're gonna dive right in three strikes get things started in the Boston Red Sox system Brian Johnson promoted this week a fantastic start to the year with AAA Pawtucket Brian Johnson heads up one of kind of the I think the lesser known names compared with some of the other guys in that system as far as the pitching has gone over the last few years he's not necessarily a Henry Owens or that type of name recognition yet but Brian Johnson has put together a very good season and he gets his first shot yeah, he's like, I mean, he's uh, a guy that his his rise, he was a first-round pick out of Florida in 2012, and his rise through the system was delayed. He took a line drive to the head and had uh, uh, missed some time coming off of that, um, but came back, had a really, really good year last year in 2014 at 1.75 ERA with AA Portland. He's been in AAA all year this year at a 2.73 ERA. He's a little bit more of a, a command control guy. He gets the velocity, his average, maybe just a tick above. Uh, his best two pitches are his two breaking pitches, the curveball and the slider. He mixes those up really well. Um, really a guy who just has looked like, you know, last year he was a guy who looked like he had a lot of polish and probably would be ready for uh, that kind of challenge. And I think it's just kind of added to that a little bit this year. Um, and, yeah, a guy who, I mean, Owen said kind of a, a rough year, and Eduardo Rodriguez is kind of shut up and, and obviously having a lot of success in the majors, and Johnson is kind of, Settled in between those two is a, is a very nice starting pitching prospect. A guy who's uh, emerged on a few top 50 lists as, as some sites, Baseball America, Baseball Perspectives, have been putting out their updates. And uh, definitely a guy whose, whose stock is up and is, is getting the, the call up at a, a good time for him. And, you know, excited to see an uh, interesting profile and see how that kind of fits in, in the AL East. Well, and, you know, the Red Sox have kind of needed an infusion of a little bit of excitement this season, too. Uh, you know, he came into the, to the year and provided. Uh, kind of the secondary left-handed option to the top guys in Owens and Rodriguez. And I think what you're seeing now is that his stuff isn't any secondary to those guys. I mean, he, the ceiling that he can hit is not necessarily less than those guys either. I think he just wasn't exactly the, the same 
stature of prospect for what people knew coming into this year. But it's been a, a very up and down season, more down than up, I think, in Boston. And so it's uh, to get those guys to the big leagues, we've seen so many of those debuts go so well for that organization over the last you know decade and a half now um, that it's another guy who the Red Sox get to see what they'll have in him going forward because this season, even though that division has been pretty well tightly grouped all year, this season looks like it's probably not going the way that a lot of people in Boston hoped it would. I mean, they're only five games under 500, but that division is so brutal year year in and year out. At least you get to see what you have beyond Owens and Rodriguez going forward for uh, another left-handed option in that rotation. Yeah, and I think the one thing Boston was counting on coming into the end of the year and hasn't really worked out quite as maybe they'd hoped, but if they, you know, you think if you throw enough number three, number four type starters together, just throw them all at the wall and see who sticks, and, and a lot more of them have been falling off than maybe they thought. But Johnson's one of those guys who could be a, a mid-rotation guy if everything kind of falls correctly, if the command maintains, and um, you know, maybe if he can give it a little more velocity somewhere in there. Um, so, you know, has a, has a chance to certainly catch lightning in a bottle and be one of those guys who pitches over his head or something, helps them out and, you know, uh, still, still hanging in there. And, and I think, uh, you know, definitely want to see what you have with them going forward. I think you're right with that. Strike two, Jake, uh, another guy moving on up, not moving up to the big leagues, but fire away. Yeah. And strike two was, uh, you actually wrote about this for the site yesterday, Bradley Zimmer outfielder for, uh, the Cleveland Indians finally got promoted. Uh, had been lighting the world on fire in the the Carolina League this year. Had a 305 average on base percentage over 400. Uh, Getting bumped to Double A Akron, coming off the Futures game. He represented the Indians there. Um, he's a guy who, uh, going into the the 2014 draft, he fell to 21st overall, even though he was one of the the bigger names in the college class. And I think a lot of that was because I think some teams viewed him as something of a tweener, as a guy who maybe didn't have the speed to profile in center field, but also didn't have the power to profile in a corner. And this year, it looks like both his speed and his power have, have taken a step forward or certainly performed at a level that was a little beyond maybe what we expected. Uh, he's been he's 32 of 37 on stolen base attempts. He's played a lot of center field. When he hasn't played center field, it's been uh, in deference to, to Clint Frazier, who, who was also at, uh, at Lynchburg. And also, they just wanted to get him some reps in center. But Zimmer looks like he can certainly handle center field, be an adequate defender out there. Uh, he hit 10 home runs at a slugging percentage approaching 500 in a not a great hitter's environment. So he's a guy who's showing some power. You know, the plate approach looks really good. He's drawing some walks. He's got the on-base percentage up there, like we said. Uh, looks like a guy that has maybe more of a complete package than, than uh, was hyped going into the draft last year and, and a nice value for Cleveland from 21st overall. See how he adjusted at double A. Certainly has the profile to make you think that he's going to thrive there and maybe get a get a look in Cleveland at some point in 2016. You know what's cool for for Bradley Zimmer is he got a chance to watch Kyle, his brother, go through this entire process. Uh, a couple of years earlier, Kyle, of course, was a first-round pick of the Kansas City Royals back in 2012. They got to play together for one year in college uh, at the University of San Francisco. But you see your older brother go through that. You kind of understand how the process is. And then when you get to do it, you're maybe able to avoid some of those pitfalls of what can strike a first-round pick through those first year or two years in professional baseball. What I really like from Bradley Zimmer is that I think at this stage, you see a kid drafted in the first round last year you assume he's probably going to spend an entire year at class a advanced especially coming out of college seems like it's a level that's very well geared very well suited toward a full season test for a collegiate guy who's coming out even the high ceiling a very talented guy a five tool type of guy 
you still think he'll probably stay there until he forces his way out of it. To force your way out of it by the Major League All-Star break is pretty impressive. Zimmer, 10 home runs this year. His 32 stolen bases are tied for the highest mark in the Carolina League, along with Adam Engel of Winston-Salem. Uh, what I think the Indians have found, and this is what their scouting director, Brad Grant, told MLB.com, is he said, quote, he's more athletic than we even thought. It's been a lot of fun to see how quickly he's been able to adjust to professional baseball. So I think what they found is challenging Bradley Zimmer. It's not just that he has the mentality and the ability to attack a professional career, but the athleticism in his transition playing wise is even better than what they figured they were going to be getting out of him. And that is if you can land a kid toward the back half of the first round, the back end of the first round and have him be a guy who ordinarily, I think you get somebody there and say, yeah, he's probably comparable to the talent that we would have gotten, you know, 21 through 30 or a little beyond if you take him at 21st overall. But to say he's more athletic than we even thought, now you're talking about maybe he's a, a mid-teens or even a top 10 level talent in that draft. Um, so, I mean, this is pretty impressive for the Indians to have Bradley Zimmer already making that climb to double A, you know, really a, a year and a month after he was drafted. Yeah, and I think if teams were more certain either on the power or on the, the speed and the athleticism, I think he would have gone well before 21st overall. I think both of those are, are things that are surprising a little bit this year. And, and kudos to the Indians, too, because this is another um, not entirely dissimilar to Tyler Naquin, who was a guy that got 15th overall in 2012, who was uh, also considered something of a, a tweener pick, a guy that maybe didn't have the speed for center field and didn't have the power for, for the corner outfield. It looks like probably evaluators were, were right on his power, but has has grown into a little more speed and just shown incredible instincts in the in center field and become a, a well above average defender there. He's having a good year in Triple A this year. Uh, I'll be splitting some time probably with uh, with Zimmer once he gets up there. Um, but a guy with a, a good plate approach and and really undervalued. I think his defense in center was at the, at the time he was drafted. So a couple good finds in the outfield there by by Cleveland scouts among the college ranks. Jake Strike 3, we should actually probably just have like a three-strike segment and then a which Astros stud got promoted this week <laughs> segment. But A.J. Reed is the latest one. A.J. Reed heads up to Double A Corpus Christi uh, after 82 games with Class A Advanced Lancaster in the California League. There, a slash line of 346, 449, 638 with 23 homers and 81 runs batted in. And, yeah, obviously offensive ballpark in an offensive league, but those are some very impressive numbers. A.J. Reed is a guy who does it all. In college, he was one of the best two-way players in the nation. These were his numbers his junior year in college. 23 home runs as a hitter because he was the University of Kentucky's first baseman in addition to being a, a starting pitcher and was also their ace, went 12-2 and two with a 2.09 ERA. So A.J. Reed does everything. First baseman position player now, but there wasn't a whole lot left for him to prove at the California League level. No, and I mean, he, he gets a little bit of a boost from being in Lancaster, but, uh, you know, there's a threshold for numbers you expect to see at Lancaster, and then once guys get beyond that, you just have to give them some credit. I think Reed's one of the guys. That's a great way to put it. Even even for you know accounting for the Lancaster, I guess the I don't know if you want to call it a handicap or, or what, but even accounting for that, it's the numbers are just absurd. The OPS up ticking near a thousand, slugging percentage of six thirty eight, uh, was leading that league in home runs, and uh, really a guy who's taken in the transition well. I think I saw a story written about him earlier in the year. I think it might have been on our site, but I'm not entirely sure. But just talking about how it's the first time in his career he's focusing just on hitting. He's been splitting his time his entire career between pitching and hitting, even in. Uh, summer leagues and things so uh, kind of seeing what he can do just focus solely on that um you know a lot of pressure obviously on the backs he's a guy who's who's gonna be stuck at first base he's built uh not quite like an nfl offensive lineman but certainly like a, a guy you'd see playing left tackle at a, a pretty good high school or something Six four, two forty. he's listed as a bigger guy and doesn't run that well but uh, pretty athletic for that size and the, the power is 
is there as you'd expect it, and the ability to get bat to ball is is pretty exceptional for for a guy that size and, and very fluid and athletic at the plate from the left side. And somebody Astros fans should be getting excited about. I don't think there's uh, he might be the best first base prospect in the minors at this point. I don't know either him or uh, uh, Josh, Josh Bell. Bell, right? Matt Olson probably is in that conversation. Yeah, Olson maybe. But, but Reed, I mean, he's Reed has put himself in that conversation definitely. this year, which is a nice jump for him. And I think, too, is an, the Astros have found a lot of these guys. He's going to be a quick riser. And it's not the same scenario as Carlos Correa where he came out of high school, maybe a little bit underdeveloped in that regard. But A.J. Reed is a guy who came out of college at a very prestigious program in maybe the best conference in the country. So he already has a lot of that already polished level to his game that so many other guys don't necessarily get even guys who come out of different college programs you come out of a smaller school maybe you don't get the exposure the experience at that same level that you do in the sec nationally televised games massive you know non-conference tournament uh competition that kind of stuff so i think not only is aj reed this good and this talented i think he has the ability to climb as quickly as we have seen anybody in that system. I mean, he was a second-round pick last year. It would not surprise me to see him in the major leagues by uh, by the beginning of next season. So they just keep coming. The yeah, Houston system, I mean, they just keep coming. And well, especially with Jeff Lou now and Sig Dell and the, the system they have in place for evaluating college hitters. We saw that when they were at the Cardinals, and we have seen the uh, the Cardinals certainly wanting to hold on to some of that once they've left um, in, in some ways not so clean. But, uh, yeah, it signals well when, when Houston decides to invest money in a college bat, and I think you're seeing seeing why in A.J. Reed, who's shown probably a little more offense than, than even teams thought he might come out of Kentucky. They're doing something right on ground control. Yep. That's what yep. I would say. That's strike three. Three strikes for this week, episode number 16 of the show before the show, the Minor League Baseball Podcast. Got a lot coming up on the show today. We are really excited for our interview segment. Patrick Kivlihan of the Seattle Mariners organization has had a really cool last couple of weeks. He's been playing with Team USA, USA Baseball, in a, kind of a friendly tournament series in North Carolina against the Cuban national team and the Canadian national team. He is now taking part in the Pan Am Games. Uh, the Pan Am Games are going on in Toronto at the moment. He's there with Team USA. They're two and one, two wins, one loss. They fell an extra innings to Puerto Rico in their opener. They've since rebounded with, I believe, a two hitter against Cuba and a victory there uh, and a win over Colombia. So we'll talk a little bit about the USA baseball process as well as what it's been like for Pat Kivlihan this year because he's learned to play basically every position he could possibly play. He's hit well. He's done virtually everything the Mariners could ask of him. And this is for a guy who really did not play high-level baseball until about two years before he was drafted. So a really interesting story coming up with Pat Kivlihan. And we'll talk uh, a little bit more. We'll review the first half of minor league baseball, all that and more uh, on this week's edition of the show before the show. Loaded episode in which Jake and I are both battling physical maladies. Uh, Pat Kivlihan comes up next. Our guest for episode number 16 of Minor League Baseball's The Show Before the Show podcast joins us from across a border. I think you're our first international guest, Pat Kivlihan of the Seattle Mariners organization. Welcome, man. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Currently in Canada. You are in Toronto, and we're going to talk a lot about that as the interview goes along, but you are with USA Baseball for the Pan Am Games currently in Toronto. Uh, you guys, I know, played today. You were 2-1 and one heading into the day today. How did today's game go? Who were you playing, uh, and what was the result today? Uh, we beat Nicaragua today, six nothing. So we're three and one now, and we got a game tomorrow versus Dominican, and then 
we finish up pool play versus Canada Friday night. Well, let's talk about that here in, in a couple of minutes. First, let's dive into how things have been going so far this season. Here with the Triple A Tacoma Rainiers, it's been a very good year uh, for you guys. I mean, for you, spending time at a whole bunch of different positions, you've got experience at a whole range of uh, of spots, both in the field and, and across the batting order. And this season being tested at the Triple A level for the first time, how have you found the PCL so far? Uh, the travel is definitely the hardest part, you know, getting up for those mornings, you know, with the uh, – the early flights all over with the layovers that's kind of been kind of been an adjustment because usually we just leave right after a game you know take a long bus ride and you're able to get a full night's sleep but uh you know in the pcl you kind of you play late you go to sleep for maybe two three hours you got to get up for a flight and, you know then you may get another hour or two when you get there so that's kind of been the biggest adjustment but uh you know over, otherwise i liked it you know going to all the cool cities we get to go to and uh the teammates have been great so i'm enjoying it what's your favorite pcl road trip so far uh, favorite one so far. Uh, I had a blast in Iowa and Omaha. I okay. Know, those places. Yeah. That's a good kind answer. That's, I was going to say, it's <laughs> not like the traditional answer in the PCL, I would think. Yeah, it was kind of a different, but, you know, it was fun. Pat, so far this season, you have played first base, third base, left field, center field, right field, and you've DH'd also. Uh, and you were the subject of uh, the PCL notes column uh, a couple of weeks ago. Chris Jackson, one of our uh, freelance writers in the PCL, wrote a story in which he talked to you about that the experience of playing kind of all over the field this year. And you said you carry basically six gloves. You've got uh, an infield glove, a first base glove, and an outfield glove, but you carry a backup for each. So both literally and figuratively, you're like wearing a lot of hats. What's that been like this year to get a range of experience in so many different spots? Uh, I mean, it's been good. You know, I'm kind of at the point where, uh, you know, whatever the team needs me to do, I'll do it. And if that, you know, if that ever comes the case in the, in the bigs, then, you know, I'm prepared for it and ready for it. But, uh, you know, it's been it's been an adjustment kind of just literally every day playing a new position. So sometimes, you know, you kind of have to rely on, you know, your your, men, your mental side or whatever and, you know, the, the studies you've done at that position because you might not get the physical reps every day at each position because you can't. But, uh, you know, to get those mental reps and just kind of play the game within the game even when you're not playing that position. So just kind of when you're in that position at that certain position, you kind of have a feel of, what's going to happen or what to do when the ball's hit to you. Are you able to somewhat compartmentalize how it is playing? Because so many guys struggle, especially if you're changing positions. You know, maybe there's a struggle at the plate because of the fact that you're, you know, having trouble with the transition between first and third or third in the outfield or wherever it is. Have you been able to kind of keep those things separate where you're learning something in the field doesn't necessarily translate to how you're feeling at the plate? Can you kind of, you know, keep yourself on an even keel on both sides of the ball like that? Yeah, I think you can you can uh, you know keep yourself on an even keel, not kind of not try and let you know your defense pull over into your offense, your offense pull over into your defense. You kind of have to separate the two and uh, you know keep them at their keep them by themselves. Pat has a very interesting story in that you were a college football player, and really it wasn't until your senior year at Rutgers that you turned to baseball. When did you kind of realize that that could be a route for you professionally, that you could you know, not just get drafted, sign a contract, play in the minors, but I mean, now you're at the doorstep of the major leagues three years later. When did that kind of first start getting into your head that, like, this could be a, a road for me? Uh, well, I'd say halfway through that college season is when, uh, you know, scouts started showing up, and I kind of you know, started to get those questionnaires to fill out for the draft and all that. So once those started rolling in, I kind of had an idea that, uh, you know, maybe getting drafted was a possibility. But, uh, you know, Everett went well, and then Clinton and then High Desert. I'd say after my first full season where I kind of didn't feel overmatched or, uh, you know, I felt comfortable, I felt like I was just as good as everybody else out there, that's when it kind of set in that, you know, I'm just as good as all these other guys out there. And it wasn't just some, 
you know, one year wonder in college. You've had a couple of different different interviews where you've kind of drawn on your your football experience and how it relates to what you've been able to do in baseball so far, including in our story on MILB.com from a couple of weeks ago. But kind of walk us through how that's worked for you, because obviously when you deal, I guess, with a football background, especially in a, a major conference and playing in a big program and a program that's had a lot of success over the last decade or so, you go through a lot of highs, but you also go through a lot of lows, and that very well translates to what you deal with in the minor leagues. What do you think the football career has lent to you as far as your mentality or approach what you can bring over to the baseball side i'd say it's just the mental toughness that we had with football just the the off-season workouts and the you know the two-a-days in the heat you know getting knocked down having to get back up for the next play just kind of those those failure failures you have and those downs you know you, you have no choice but to get up and you know learn from it and get better from it so i feel like in baseball you know when you have a struggle you have a little slump you know, some guys may dwell on it and let it get to them. But, uh, you know, I feel like with that background and that toughness that was established in me in college, I kind of I kind of have an idea of how to get over it and how to better myself from it. Pat Kevlan, as we noted, has played both corner infield positions and all three outfield positions and right now is taking part in the Pan Am games, which are going on in Toronto. Uh, the United States baseball team, uh, so far a 3-1 and one start today, a 6 nothing win over Nicaragua. Pat, let's talk a little bit first about how this process comes about for you to be involved with USA Baseball because so many times, you go to the USA Baseball page, I mean, they're usabaseball.com, and on the left sidebar of the page is Addison Russell, who was on the 18 and under national team in 2011, and on the right side of the page is Carlos Rodon, who was on the 2012 and 2013 collegiate national teams. There's so much talent who goes through USA Baseball. How did you get involved? How would how did they approach you, and what was the process to get involved with the the team for the Pan Am Games? Uh, well, I woke up to a text, and uh, you know, the text was like, "Hi, I'm so and so from USA Baseball. Uh, are you interested in playing at all in the Pan Am Games? If so, give me a call." So I called them back, and uh, you know, they kind of just explained how they got an okay from the Mariners to talk to me about potentially playing in the Pan Am games and, uh, you know, told me that they sent out scouts to watch all the minor league games and they came up with the team and I was one of the guys that they wanted on the team. And, uh, I mean, I jumped on it right away. It's kind of one of those cool little honors that, you know, you never really get to experience unless you're fortunate enough and, uh, you know, something I couldn't pass up. How has it been so far? I mean, you go up, there's the opening ceremonies. I mean, I saw some pictures from some guys who were on Team Canada and, you know, all the pomp and circumstances surrounds that. And then you're on the field with, I know you guys played Puerto Rico, lost your opening game, but a big win against Cuba. Uh, you're on the field against guys who are legends of Cuban baseball. Tomorrow you'll play the Dominican Republic. There's so much talent, obviously, on those teams. What has that been like to be at a different level of competition, maybe not necessarily comparable in one way or another to what you've seen in the minors, but just being a part of that experience, how has that felt? It's so cool. It's it's probably one of the coolest things I've ever done. Just uh, you know, just every aspect of being here is something I've never experienced before. Opening ceremonies was a blast. Uh, when when Canada walked out, the whole place erupted, so it was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, and then just the games, you know, playing in Puerto Rico and Cuba, they brought a lot of fans, and we were we were definitely not not the underdogs, but uh, you know, everyone was rooting against us and kind of be the bad boys of the of the tournament. You know, it's kind of cool. Everyone's rooting against us. And, uh, you know, to have some emotional games like that, it's, it's pretty cool. It kind of, you know, I was talking to a couple guys who have kind of been in the big leagues and the big league playoffs, and, uh, you know, they say that this compares to it.
the neatest thing about it is that you get to mix in so much talent. And I mean, you look down the roster for this, you know, a lot of good minor league talent, and there is a lot of minor league talent. I mean, in addition to Pat, guys like Tyler Pasternick, you've seen some time in the major leagues, Albert Almora from the Chicago Cubs organization, uh, Tommy Murphy from the Colorado Rockies organization. There's a lot of talent, but there's also some older guys. Casey Kochman is on this roster. And Casey Kochman is 32 years old and, you know, not an old guy by any stretch, but what's it like being around a guy who's had so much major league experience? I mean, he's played almost a thousand games in the big leagues uh for you guys to kind of get to bounce questions off of him all that kind of stuff what's it been like having somebody who's got that more veteran presence around on this team yeah he's definitely the guy that you know all the guys kind of look to to kind of lead us and uh you know be the voice of the team so it's it's definitely good to have a guy with his experience you can just lean on and you know if you have a question or you need help with something he's definitely there and he's always there to help and uh you know whatever we need Pan Am games are going on right now in Toronto, and you can follow that at usabaseball.com. You can also follow Pat all season long with the, the Tacoma Rainiers on MILB.tv here on MILB.com. And, uh, Pat, what's the, the, the Mariners' approach to this whole thing have been? Because I would imagine that a lot of organizations are excited that guys get experience in different, you know, get out of the monotony of the minor league season and the, you know, the PCL plane rides and all that kind of stuff. But what have you heard from your parent club and from other guys, what their parent clubs have said about getting out of the minor league season being able to take part in something like this uh i'm not so sure about other organizations but i talked to my agent when he uh when i got picked for the team to just double check with the mariners and they were all for it they were pumped for me they were excited and uh i think they were just as excited as i i was about the experience so they're all for it Go check it out at usabaseball.com. And, again, follow Pat's season all season long on MILB.tv with the Tacoma Rainier. So far, 76 games this year. He's played five positions in a 728 OPS. I would imagine it's been a challenging season bouncing all over the field, but it seems like it's been a, a pretty fun year. And Pat, by the way, has been an unbelievable sport over the last two days because I didn't know that uh, a Skype call doesn't necessarily go through to an American phone in Canada. So we've been – we're basically like Pat's hooked up on like a rotary phone. It's like the 1930s <laughs> at the dorm-style housing where you guys are in toronto but pat thanks a ton man and best of luck the rest of the way in uh, in the pan am games we'll be cheering for you from here and uh, and also in tacoma the rest of the season thank you appreciate it Our big thanks to Pat Kivlihan of the Seattle Mariners. Pat is a really interesting guy to talk to. He's got a really interesting story with uh, the way that his career has come about i mean you know, not often that you play football in a program like Rutgers and then just all of a sudden kind of last minute think like, I'm probably not going to make it in football. I'll try the baseball thing out. And now all of a sudden he's on the verge of the major league. So big uh, thanks to Pat Kivlihan, who is as of right now with Team USA up in Toronto. And you can check out all that action on usabaseball.com. Follow along with the Pan Am games as well. We're going to switch gears and talk about some of the uh, highs and lows of the first half because first half in all of the minor leagues is wrapped up and behind us. Triple A All Star Game, of course, was this week. Major League All Star Game this week as well. Every other full season league has had their All Star Game. We're just waiting on the two in the short season leagues. But uh, we've kind of gotten to that point where you can evaluate who is where and why. And Jake, let's dive into some of these. You've got a piece up this week on MILB.com. Your Stockwatch piece is your first half All Risers team, and there's a lot of really, really great stuff in here. Uh, tell me about some of the guys who jumped out to you. There's uh, a handful of selections, one from each position, and then there are some notes on some guys who have taken a step backward this year. But let's talk about some of these risers first. Yeah, I think uh, maybe the, the most impressive riser guy has gone really from being pretty much unknown to, to a guy who I think might be uh, catching on to some top 100 lists by the end of the year is Jacob Nottingham with the Houston Astros. Uh, quite a few Astros on this list. I think we're going to talk about a couple more. But Nottingham's 
really interesting. He was a, a six-round pick in 2013 and was drafted really as a guy who was a little bit light on baseball experience and definitely on baseball polish. He's a catcher. Uh, he's a big guy. He was had a chance to go play Division One football, be a tight end, and, and passed on that to uh, focus on baseball. And this year, he kind of really started to see uh, the fruits of some labor coming in. Uh, he's a 20-year-old who opened the year at Class A Quad Cities and, and got a promotion to Class A Advanced Lancaster a couple weeks back. Uh, he's hitting 335 with a 573 slugging percentage. He's got a, a whole bunch of home runs. He's really emerged as a guy with uh, not just a lot of power, but the ability to tap into that power and, and showcase that at, at a couple different levels. Now, Quad City is not the easiest place to hit home runs. Midwest League, obviously, not the easiest place. He's getting a little bit of a boost from being in Lancaster now, but most of those numbers were coming in the, the Midwest League. Um, but defensively, reading some some good things and hearing some good things about the way he's developing there, I think there's still a pretty big gap between present and future for him behind the plate and, and kind of where he needs to be to, to get to become a, an average defender or above average defender. But sounds like the progress is being made there and the athleticism is, is more than enough and the makeup is is way more than enough to suggest that he's got a good chance of getting there. You're talking about a guy who's going to hit for some average, plenty of power, and, and have the ability to play defense at catcher. That's not a lot of guys in the major leagues right now you can say that about. So a prospect can do all those things is pretty exciting. And at a time where I think the, the catching, uh, the crop is getting a little bit thin in the minor leagues. We saw a few guys promoted to, to the majors this year and, and thinning that out. And Jorge Alfaro obviously getting injured, and that's a little bit of a disappointment. Uh, Nottingham really emerging as one of the top catchers in, in the minor leagues. And uh, you know doing so as a guy who was more or less unknown coming into the season. The Astros, like the top talent that the Astros have already comes, you know, into every evaluation with all of the, the plaudits that you could give to prospects. And now they have guys who are just coming out of nowhere. And that's just probably, <laughs> that's just not fair to any other organization. Uh, I want to stick in that organization for my next guy, because I cannot pass up an opportunity to talk about Brett Phillips ever since we bonded over him almost getting eaten by a possum last year in quad cities. But I think a lot of people, probably figured that last year was maybe not an aberration, but I think along the lines more of something that, that Brett Phillips was capable of doing, but probably wouldn't be doing regularly. That has proven to not be the case last year uh, an 883 OPS with class a quad cities. And this year he has been phenomenal. got a promotion uh, last season, actually to class a advanced Lancaster toward the end of the year, started the season there. He has since jumped up to double a where he's with the Corpus Christi hooks and his early returns in double a have been very, very encouraging as well. 66 games with Lancaster to start the season, 323, 79, 588. That was the slash line. In 967 OPS so far in double a not much difference a 308 average a 357 on base percentage a 462 slugging percentage that uh, Brett Phillips has come out of he's another guy who I think prior to last year probably would have been somewhat along the lines I mean he was a, a somewhat high level draft pick uh but maybe not as unknown as Nottingham, but I don't think people looked at Brett Phillips going into 2014 and thought of him on this same level as the top prospects in the Astro system. He has since really taken off and it's impressive to see that as he climbs, he continues to seemingly get better. I mean, last year his numbers in quad cities were unbelievable, but when he made that leap to Lancaster, he got better. Uh, OPS 883 at quad cities. It was a 980 OPS, albeit in 27 games at Lancaster this year, 967 OPS makes arguably, and what most people say is the most difficult jump from high A to double A. And he's still OPSing 819. So Brett Phillips continues to do things that a lot of people, I don't think necessarily saw out of him before last year. And uh, he's still coming. I mean, the, well, the, the 
And the crazy like, thing yeah. about Phillips too is it seems like the tools are getting better as he's climbing up. Too. Exactly. He's just a guy who who was a, a you know a really toolsy guy who's been putting together baseball wise. I think he actually had some of the baseball polish in place, and he's gotten faster. He's gotten stronger. Last offseason, the Astros really challenged him to improve his flexibility, and everything we've heard is that he's done that, and that's allowed him to get better jumps and better reactions in center field. He's gone from a guy who maybe had a little bit of a tweener profile to being a, a pretty good defender in center field. His arm is, is off the charts and has been off the charts. It's been the best in the Astros system for a little while, but just everything just keeps getting better with him. The makeup, you talk to people in the Astros, and they talk about him almost in the same way they talk about Carlos Correa, just with the way the makeup is off the charts and uh, something that really encourages you to believe that he's going to hit his ceiling wherever his ceiling is, and his ceiling just keeps growing too along with his his present production and the things he's doing. Just a really incredible rise for him. Uh, moving on, another guy we're going to profile here. I actually want to talk about the shortstop position in general because it's been a, a pretty good year for shortstops. We've obviously seen a, a bunch of them promoted to the majors and Carlos Correa, and we have Corey Seager sitting right there on, on the doorstep. A uh, lot of guys in the lower levels who have really jumped out. The one I chose the profile in the piece was Javier Guerra, who was the shortstop at Class A Greenville in the Red Sox organization. Guerra is 19 from Panama. He came into the year with the reputation as a really good defender. guy definitely was going to be able to stick at shortstop and, and do it with, uh, with a plum, but wondered kind of what the bat was going to look like. Well, the bat's been really good and, and in really surprising ways this year. He's not only hitting for average and putting a fair amount of balls in play, but he's already has 11 home runs. He's got an 853 OPS. Uh, he's listed at 5'11", 155 pounds, which is obviously very small for a, a baseball player. And uh, Sam Dykes did a story over the weekend, talked to uh, Darren Fencer, the Greenville manager, and Fencer says he thinks that Garris put on a little bit of weight since then, but really we're talking about a guy that has some of that natural wiry strength and athleticism that he really taps into well in games. Um, a guy you're talking about could hit 15 to 20 home runs a year with a decent batting average and uh, excellent defense up the middle. That's you know that's an all-star, that's a superstar, possibly an MVP candidate, depending on where the, the walk numbers and things fall into place. Um, but that position in general has had a really good year. At the lower levels, we've seen Rudy Huron with the, the Padres really emerge in the Midwest League. He's putting up um, really uh, historic numbers, actually, as a, an 18-year-old, as the youngest guy in the Midwest League, and it's just been lighting the, the thing on fire. Um, in the South Atlantic League, you have Guerra, you have Ozzy Albies with the Braves, um, Jorge Mateo with the Yankees having a really good year. Malkin Canelo already got himself promoted from the Phillies. Uh, he's another guy that came into the year with sort of a glove-first profile and has hit really well above sort of what maybe we expected from him. Uh, in the Midwest League, Gleyber Torres with the Cubs is really young and hitting really well. And then uh, the guy that actually probably gave Guerra the toughest run for his money for just the spot on this list as far as being the biggest riser was Orlando Arcia with the Brewers, who came into the year. I think most people had him as a, a back-end top 100 guy, again, as a guy with uh, more than enough glove, but questions about his bat and has uh, emerged as something as, uh, you know, I think his coach called him like a, a Vlad Guerrero light. Doesn't have quite the power that Guerrero does, but this insane bat-to-ball ability. He can chase balls out of the zone and still smoke line drives all over the field. Him and Trevor Story with the Rockies and Trey Turner with the Nationals all in AA and AAA have had really good years this year, too. Uh, shortstop position in general, which you kind of expect that with, with the minor leagues and player development, that if you're going to get people breaking out, it's going to be at the shortstop position. But um, certainly a lot of guys, that's by far the deepest honorable mentions list we have on this list. And, and I think any one of those guys probably could have gotten their own write-up uh, pretty pretty justifiably here. 
I talked with uh, Biloxi hitting coach Sandy Guerrero about Orlando Arcia uh, last week, and he could not stop at that same comparison. Vlad Guerrero, maybe not the same profile, the same power, the same stature, but the way he swings, the way he's able to make contact with virtually anything. I think this quote was, when he swings, you know he sees it. It's not like he's just going up there as a free swinger. He doesn't know what he's doing at the plate. He's got a plan when he goes up there. Doesn't walk a lot, but he doesn't strike out a lot either because he has that mentality at the plate where if I'm going to swing the bat, there's a reason behind it. It's because I think I can do something with this pitch. And the thing I really like that Guerrero said also is that Arcia has the type of personality where nothing phases him. Even if he goes up, he gave me an example from the night before. He said he went up, he had a four-pitch strikeout where he was swinging at things that I didn't think he should be swinging at. And when he came to the dugout, I said, it's a good thing I'm your hitting coach because what are you swinging at up there? And Arcia turned, laughed, walked to the other end of the dugout. They shared the moment, the joke. And the next time out, it was a better approach to the plate. The next day, he had, I think, five hits. So that's what you really like in that situation for the Brewers is that not only does he have all the tools, seems like he has the mentality to put those in in practice too. So he's definitely one of those guys. I mean, that is a loaded position throughout the minors, but he's he's one of those guys to really keep an eye on now, especially with a presumably a jump uh, up to the AAA level in Colorado Springs coming soon. Uh, I'm going to round out my couple of picks from uh, Stockwatch Jake's column on first half risers with right-handed starting pitcher Jose De Leon, who is another guy who I don't want to say came out of nowhere, but in a lot of regards he really did. 2013 Jose De Leon was not really a name that many people regarded as a prospect at all. He was sort of chubby, threw only low 90s, didn't really have much of an out pitch, and then last year took off, got into much better shape, uh, velocity spiked, really kind of started to figure himself out as a pitcher. And this is a guy who went undrafted out of high school and then spent three seasons at Southern and was a 24th round draft pick of the Dodgers back in 2013. So definitely not a guy who comes with the pedigree of so many of the other pitchers, even just in the Dodgers organization. I mean, Grant Holmes, obviously right-handed pitcher, a first round pick from 2014 guy of the Dodgers are very high on uh, Julio Urias. We know how high everybody in baseball is on Urias, but Jose De Leon, did not fit in that conversation until last year. And I think a lot of people were waiting to see if that was going to carry over or which version of him we would see this year. But it looks like this kid is for real. And he's figured out mid-90s velocity, uh, changeup and slider mix to go along with that have been very, very good this year. He's got 122 strikeouts uh, as of when Jake wrote this piece, which is the highest total in the minors by a pretty wide margin. And uh, it's been fun to see him come along because he was not initially thought of the way that he is now. Those guys are some of the most fascinating guys to watch in baseball. Guys who kind of turn themselves in. You know, the same thing like we were talking about with Phillips or like we're talking about with Nottingham. The guys who just kind of come into their own and start to get it figured out in pro ball, and then all of a sudden it's like, man, this kid's going to be here. Yeah, De Leon's an interesting guy too because he had something that I imagine the, the Dodger scout who signed him probably saw this and it was why he was willing to – take a chance on him but the Dodgers didn't draft him thinking he had 95 miles an hour in there they might have drafted him the thing that really works for De Leo and I think we talked about this maybe in one of the earlier podcasts was the way that he's able to hide the baseball there's a, a series that, that Eno Saris over at Fangraphs did profiling pitchers who do this and uh, the one guy that's kind of the king of this he throws what he calls an invisible is Yusmero Petit where Petit can hide the baseball behind the elbow of his throwing arm where the ball just kind of appears out of nowhere. De Leon, if you, there's some video online, I link to it in, in one of the Stockwatch columns, where you can watch him throw, and if you're the hitter, you don't see the ball from the time it leaves his glove until it's already out of his hand. The ball just never shows up. He hides it behind his body, the arm slides 
slides up behind his body, and then it stays behind his arm, and then the ball just kind of shoots out of his elbow. So he's throwing 95, but it looks even faster than that to hitters because it's just on top of you in no time. So that's why even though he's got you know above average velocity, but not you know blowing up radar guns, and he's got pretty good off speed stuff, but but maybe not you know I'm not talking about Steven Strasburg or anything, but guys just take ugly swings. They can't see what's coming. They can't pick up the spin. It's just on top of them before they know it. And a really good job by the Dodgers of identifying that because that seems like it was something that he had with him coming out of college. And then just the you know kudos to him for uh, having the wherewithal and the you know the motivation to to lose the weight and to to get himself in shape and pick up that velocity and make some tweaks to his delivery and really just just emerge as a, a guy who's I think a consensus probably top twenty top twenty five prospect gauging from from different lists around around the web at this point. This Stockwatch piece is great, and go check it out on MILB.com. There's also some notes on a couple, a handful of guys who have fallen this year, whether it's for injury or for performance. Jake, give us just a couple of guys who stand out in that regard. I mean, obviously we've seen really just over the last couple of weeks, uh, pitchers Dylan Bundy and Jamison Tyon have struggled with various different types of injuries. You're a little bit more concerned about Bundy, I think, but uh, tell us some of the guys who are, who are in those areas of the column. Yeah, I mean, Bundy had the Tommy John, obviously, in 2013, and Came back in 2014, was just okay. Seemed like he had turned the corner in spring training with the velocity and the command and now uh, shut down for the year with a, a shoulder issue. I think we talked about that last week or two weeks ago. Uh, shoulder inflammation, had like a calcium buildup in his shoulder, some weird things going on there. But uh, indications are that that's better than it could have been, and he'll probably be back maybe in time to pitch in the fall league. Uh, Jameson Tyon had Tommy John surgery last year and was working his way back and then just actually underwent surgery last week for a, a hernia injury. Um, so he's going to be out probably until September, although the, the Pirates have left open the, you know, made it possible for him to come back and maybe even pitch in the majors by the end of the year with the timetable there, um, maybe see him in relief, but probably not going to see him in an extended action until 2016 now. And then Jorge Alfaro, another one who's out for the year probably with a, an ankle injury, um, which is disappointing just because he's a guy who really needs the reps, especially behind the plate and, you know, at the plate too a little bit, but just defensively just needed to get as much game action as possible just to get his defense to where it needs to be. Um, as far as guys who are, are falling just purely for performance, I think the, the biggest one is one we've, and I hate to keep hammering this because I think Tyler Kolek could still end up being a really, really good pitcher at some point. And, you know, this happens to, to teenagers when they're young, but just as a, a first-round pick and a high first-round pick having a, a really tough year in Class A, um, you know, stuff seems like it's maybe backed up a little bit, but the command has just been all over the place. Uh, you know, another guy, we, Henry Owens with the Red Sox, we talked a little bit about this. We were talking about Brian Johnson, but Owens has struggled with his command in AAA. Seems like maybe he's turned the corner there, but uh, not quite all the way, and certainly has fallen behind uh, Johnson and Eduardo Rodriguez. And then another guy, Alex Meyer with the Twins, who seems like the experiment with him as a starting pitcher has, uh, has probably come to an end. Uh, he's a guy with, with killer stuff and, and probably going to be a, a really good closer in the majors, but had a chance to be a really, really special starter if he could get the command and the change-up to, uh, to an adequate level. And Minnesota, it seems like, has uh, given up on that, certainly at least for now. They moved him to the bullpen in AAA and then promoted him to the majors where he's pitching out of the pen and doing a good job. He's going to be really good out of the bullpen. And that's, uh, you know, as far as guys who are, you know, seeing their stock drop that's not a bad place to drop to that's still a valuable major league piece but i think disappointing for for alex that result is maybe a little bit and certainly for twins and twins fans but uh yeah this was a fun piece to do just kind of recap the first half of the season we got a lot more names than we even talked about here so i hope you will uh yeah go and read the piece and enjoy it and hit me up on twitter with why i'm wrong i'm very happy to be told that i (laughs) 
did you know? Don't tell me that I hate your team. It's not because I hate your team. It's just because I'm an idiot and probably missed somebody or or something like that. So you know, very eager to get feedback on it. It's a great piece. Stockwatch is up now at milb.com and uh, go check it out because your your favorite team probably has uh, more guys included in the either the stars or the honorable mentions than they do in the falling parts. So you know, it's always a good thing. Yeah, lots of lots of good news for Astros and Rays fans is what I realized working on this. It's been a good year for those systems. I know, right? Like, when is it not good for Astros fans at this point? Yeah. All right. And you got a guy starting the All Star game for the American League. It's been a fun time to be an Astros fan. Yeah. He is Jake Siner. Go follow him on Twitter at Jake underscore Siner, by the way, and check out Stockwatch this week on MILB.com. We are about set to wrap things up on episode number 16 of the Show Before the Show podcast. We'll give you a couple of things to keep an eye on coming up on the site this week. And uh, wrapping up the show next, episode number 16 of MILB.com's The Show Before the Show. It's been like 25 minutes between when we recorded the last segment and this one because I got lost looking at old All-Star Game box scores and looking at Clash of the Caps. So yeah, that's professionalism dared, I bring dared, to this thing. Dared to head down the Clash of the Caps wormhole <laughs> while we're still recording the podcast. That was the worst idea ever, which, by the way, is something that you should be wasting your days with as well. Head to MILB.com, vote in this year's Clash of the Caps. Uh, it's the one of the best things that we do on the site. From year to year. Yeah, there's it's there's amazing. no better way I can recommend to waste your time. No, if you're looking for something to do to make your boss think you're busy, go vote in Clash of the Caps on MILB.com. Also got some good stuff coming up on Milb TV this week, Jake Siner. Yeah, we do. We got well, we talked a little bit about Bradley Zimmer, and he's going to be making his uh, regular Milb TV appearances now in the Eastern League. They have uh, Akron's playing at Erie, uh, starting when they come out of the uh, the All Star break here, so you can catch him and. The evening on Thursday, uh, another good out th- or uh, game to watch on Thursday. Uh, Aaron Nola is pitching for Lehigh Valley at Rochester. Rochester is a really good feed, and Aaron Nola probably is not long for the minor league. So if you're looking to see what he looks like before he gets called up to Philadelphia, you can see him all smart to your friends, know exactly what his uh, his pitches look like. He's a fun one to watch. Jose De Leon, who we talked about, he's pitching on Milk TV on Thursday at eight. Uh, a bunch of guys. Barry Zito was throwing. You watch Barry Zito throw for Nashville. Barry Zito has been phenomenal the last couple of months too. Kind of struggled a little bit in April. He's been great his last eight or ten times out. He's he's a uh, PCL All Star. All Star games all wrapped up, all behind us except for the two short season league All Star games, which are coming up next month. Uh, so be on the lookout for those in Northwest and the Pioneer League All Star game on August fourth, and the New York Penn League All Star game on August eighteenth. And we will preview those when the time is right. Until then, you can follow the podcast and MILB on Twitter at MILB. Jake is at Jake underscore Signer. I am at Tyler Mon. Benjamin Hill is at Ben's Biz. You can check out Ben's stuff, of course, all season long on MILB.com as well. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And uh, we always enjoy that. We always enjoy hearing from you on iTunes. You can also get in touch by sending the podcast an email, podcast at MILB.com. And until next week in episode number 17, enjoy watching uh, some all-star festivities. If you got it on your DVR, watch it again. Why not? We'll talk to you next week.